You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. It's great to be with everyone here today. We're going to jump in. We're closing out a three-week uh, series, um, and we're going to be kicking off a, a longer series next Sunday. For the next 10 weeks, I'm quite excited about it. We're actually going to be diving into a series called Counterculture. It's really a deep dive into the fruit of the Spirit that um, marks the Christian's life in comparison to what we see the, the culture around us today. So we're going to be looking at a lot of things like love versus fear, peace over anxiety. I think it's going to be a really helpful, really timely um, series for our church. But today we've been looking the last three weeks at the topic of hope. Um, and it just feels like if it's personally, or even I know of many stories in our church right now, or just in your neighborhood or in the city, or if you turn on the news, there's just a lot of stuff going on, right? a lot of life-hitting people, right? Um, and a lot of discouragement, maybe, just uh, the toil um, of life is getting to people. People are exhausted. Um, it's the start of a new school year, and maybe parents, you're feeling like two weeks in, and I'm already exhausted from all that, and filling out forms, and giving my doctor's names 20 times to 20 different forms. Um, and so it can feel like a lot of things, whether they're big or small, they can really wear and tear on us. And so we, as a church, want to be a church that acknowledges we live in the real world. Okay, I know that sounds silly, but um, sometimes we have a misunderstanding of faith, that faith removes us of hardship, that following Jesus is just going to make life easy. And we know that's not true at all. Um, and so we want to, on the one hand, be a church that's really rooted in real life, very much knowing what's going on in, in our lives and the lives of our friends our, our, and, and families and the life of our city, but at the same time, not to be um, overwhelmed by that reality either. And I think that's very hard not to be overwhelmed by that reality unless you have a, a faith, a hope, a trust in Jesus. And that's what we want to be looking at today is, is a real hope, not just wishful thinking, positive vibes, um, kind of that kind of, I, I hope this is going to happen, kind of, I, I'm hoping something's going to turn out great in my future, but I don't really have much control of it. That's not the hope that we're looking at. We're looking for a real hope that works in the real world. And so I want to spend some time today talking about um, hope's uh, brother and sister. In fact, they would almost be like a triplet. They're mentioned so many times together, you can't really talk about the one or about talking about the other two. And uh, I wonder if you'll pick it up from the scripture I'm going to read today, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. I'll read the scripture, I'll give you a bit of context. It goes like this. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father the work of faith, labor of love, and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're new to Scripture, this might be a random verse. There's nothing random in Scripture. He's writing to a church that was in a region called Thessalonica. If you read in Acts 17, it talks about how Paul and his companions started this church. They were only there for a few weeks, but they got some traction, so people put their faith and trust in Jesus. And then very quickly, they were, they were chased out of town. People, some people there didn't like what they were talking about. So they were persecuted, they were beaten up, and chased out of town. And so Paul wants to go back and encourage the church, but he can't really. And so he gets one of his kind of understudies, Timothy, to go and check on the church. And Timothy comes back and gives them a good report, but also a realistic report. In light of that, he now writes to this church, and they're new Christians. They're new in the faith. They're uh, facing some um, unexpected deaths in their church, uncertain future. What does the future look like for us with this new faith that we have? And unrelenting persecution and hardship. 
So the unexpected, the uncertainty, and the unrelenting pressure of life. Sound familiar? I know it's some 2,000 years ago in a different time and context, but it's amazing how much the human condition transcends time and context. And so we might be feeling some unexpected unexpected things in our lives right now. We might be facing some uncertainty in our future. Our world is certainly grappling with that. Certainly grappling with the uncertainty. And um, life is unrelenting. It can be unrelenting, not giving us time to breathe. And so he's writing to them and he wants to encourage them uh, and he wants to rebuild their hope. He wants to really put hope back front and center in the wake of their hardships and challenges. And so he talks about this. He talks about um, a triad. If you get faith, hope, love. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding, there's a very um, popular uh, portion of scripture that sometimes is read at weddings from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, and he works towards the end of that. And right at the end of it, it says this. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And so this triad, these triplets, faith, hope, and love, pop up time and time and time again in the New Testament, so much so they've become to be seen as core Christian virtues that really mark what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And they have an interrelated relationship. And so we're going to be talking about a little bit about how that relationship works. But also in that verse, there's another triad. I don't know if you picked it up, but it basically sums up the student life, work, labor, and endurance. Right? Or maybe not, maybe an aspirational student life. And this triad, not as popular as faith, hope, love, not quite the one that you want to read at a wedding, labor, work, and endurance is before you. All right, maybe we should start throwing that into some of these uh, weddings. But it pops up time and again as significantly enough that there's something there. And um, in fact, one of the scriptures uh, where it pops up is Jesus himself. He, um, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, he, he comes in a vision, speaks to the churches through the apostle John, and he says this, I know your works, your toil, and your endurance. So works, toil, labor, and endurance are also a triad. So Paul brings these two triads together, and he talks about a work of faith, a labor of love, and endurance of hope. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And it's almost like there's a cause and effect here. The cause of faith hope and love, and the effect is work, labor, and endurance, cause and effect. And so we're going to explore that a little bit, and then we're going to look at the, the secret to grow in faith, love, and hope, because we certainly know life is full of work, labor, and endurance. So work of faith. Work of faith really deals with what, what we do. Um, and we can produce many kinds of work. Um, you can produce a religious work. You can produce uh, a work of the flesh, the scripture talks about. You can produce works of going through the motions of dead tradition and just doing it for the sake of doing it. The scripture, Paul, talks about a work of faith. There's a, there's a type of work that we can do that is a result of our faith. In fact, there's a, a real link between what we believe and what we do. Now, uh, this week, some of you, many of you, were maybe caught up with um, the, the passing of the Queen, and maybe you tuned into her uh, funeral, memorial service, or maybe the last 10 days, you just heard reflections on the life, this incredible life that this, uh, this lady has led, and 70 years um, leading as the Queen. And time and time again, I heard one word and then another word, and I thought, oh, there's a link between those two words. And the word I heard is a word that's a little unfamiliar to us today, but the sense of duty. Did you hear that word when reference to the queen? 
there was something that she had a sense of profound duty before God and before her country, so much so that she was able for seven decades to serve God and country. An incredible sense of duty that required tremendous sacrifice from her. Right? She, she lived a life that was thrust upon her in, in many ways. But then I also began to hear, as people reflect, and it's really interesting just to hear news stations, but you cannot talk about the Queen without talking about her deep sense of faith. And I think there's a connection there between faith and duty. I think one of the motivations and reasons why she could be in that position so long is because of her faith and her sense of duty before God and a sense of calling. And so that is a work of faith, that our faith is connected to what we do. And so then he goes on and says, not just your work of faith, but you know, work requires labor and toil. Now there are many different ways that we can go about laboring. There's many motivations we can have for doing work, right? There's many motivations we can have for laboring. And this deals with why, the why of what we're doing. Now, Paul talks about, in many ways, how ministry is a labor of love. In fact, that's a phrase that we even use today, right? That's a real labor of love, that we do something out of a genuine love for someone, to our parents, a real labor of love, the sacrifice that parents have to give towards their kids and raising up kids. It's a labor of love. Um, and so Paul talks about, I don't know the up on the screen, but in, in 1 Corinthians he talks about how there is a work that we can do. It says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so there's a toil, there's a labor that we can do that can be in vain. How sad is that, right? That we can do a bunch of work and a bunch of labor, and that at the end of it is really in vain and it's not going to last. Or we can do a work of faith and a labor of love that will transcend even this lifetime and move into the next. And so that's what he's talking about here, your work of faith, committing to your work of faith, your labor of love, and your endurance of hope. So let's look at the last one here, endurance of hope. And this really, if work of faith is what we do, labor of love is why we do it, now we're kind of looking like, how, how do we actually stay in the game? How do we stay in the game long enough to do all this? It, it requires endurance, right? And again, you can get endurance from your own grip, determination, and self-will. There's nothing wrong with that. Life needs that, requires that of us. But just know that that's going to run out at some stage. But there's a way that we can also tap into something beyond ourselves in terms of enduring and patiently enduring, especially in the context of hardship. A lot of the New Testament is written to, to Christians and people going through incredible hardship, persecution, and suffering. And so the call to endure is not just something like, hey, just grit your teeth and bear it. It's just about an endurance of hope. There's a connection between what we hope in and our ability to see through particularly the hard times of life. Maybe the time that we find ourselves in collectively right now in the world, maybe in your personal life. Now, endurance, maybe your Bible says steadfastness, kind of the same thing. It's a fortitude or a capacity to withstand hardship. It was a great word that emerged out of the pandemic, resilience. I think of resilience is another way to maybe describe this, the, our ability to bounce back when life really hits us hard in the gut. And, um, and sometimes we don't, right? And, and that's okay. There's, there's grace for you if you're just down and out and life is really dealt to you. Maybe there's a diagnosis you got, or a relationship that's failing, or you look at your bank account, there's no endurance of hope as you look at that situation right there. And I want to say to you that the, that the God that we proclaim and serve is incredibly gracious, and knows that we cannot come up to these standards. But God will meet you where you're at, we will say, but he doesn't want to leave you there. 
And so one of our jobs today is to leave more hopeful than when we arrived here today. Um, but it's this fortitude, this capacity, this resilience to withstand hardship. Now, Scripture, it's good that we read Scripture because it really is trying to help us reframe and retrain our minds to think differently. Um, Monday through Sunday, 24-7, you are constantly being taught to think about things in a way. Whether you read it on your social media apps, whether it's the news broadcast that you dial into, whether it's podcasts, friends, work colleagues, family, whatever, you don't just work, go through the week neutral. You're constantly being, um, being shaped to see the world in a certain way. What's important, what's not important, what's success, what's not success, what's failure, what isn't failure. And that's why it's a critical, particularly for followers of Jesus, to put themselves before Scripture often and regularly, because sometimes, oftentimes, it's going to get you to look at those things in a very different light. It's sometimes a nonsensical light, some ways, you know. It's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's kind of, well, that's kind of counterintuitive, uh, you know, kind of the first shall be last, the last shall be first. That's that kind of, it's trying to train us to think differently, more like how God would want us to think. And so the scripture in Romans 5 does that with hardship and suffering. We don't like the word suffering. I don't think it's a great word. You know, it's not going to be part of where the Lord is taking us. But in this reality right now, suffering is inevitable. In life, hardship and suffering is edible. But there's a way that we can retrain and reframe suffering, not from culture or our personal experience, but basically from the way that God sees us. In Romans 5, verse 34, it says this We rejoice in our sufferings. I mean, isn't that counterintuitive right there? You, anyone suffering, anyone doing some hardship? Hey, be joyful about that. <laughs> like, how counterintuitive is that right there? We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Is that word again? And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So there's a connection here between hardship and hope. That um, hope gets strengthened, not as we try to bypass hardship, but that as we walk through hardship, as God walks us through hardship, and we don't get cynical and we don't get bitter, that somehow, I don't know how it works, but somehow Scripture says that there's a suffering that you can walk through that can make you a better person character-wise and more hopeful than ever had you not gone through that suffering. I don't understand that logic, but that's why we need to put ourselves and bow to the need of the authority of Scripture. Because that's how God wants us to reframe the hardship and the trials we go through. Um, put it really eloquently, in other words that I couldn't say, from Tim Keller, he says it from his book, Hope in Times of Fear, the Bible's teaching is that the road to the best things is not through the good things, but usually through the hard things. I mean, I think that's a way that you could look at Romans 5 and just say, those are hard things for Paul to walk through. Um, Paul's writing to, to Christians suffering persecution. Um, for some of them, it, it may demand their actual physical life. Praise God, we don't live in that kind of environment. But there is a way that we can walk through hard things that really does get us to the best things. And he wrote that book in between um, bouts of treatment for terminal pancreatic cancer. So he's not writing from some ivory tower. He's writing. And if you hear a bit about his story, Tim Keller, he's a brilliant thought, brilliant mind, pastor in New York City for the longest time. Um, and uh, if you read some interviews that he's had um, with even secular organizations like New York Times, 
um, it's incredible that he would say that he feels more alive, more closer to God, more joyful, more hopeful, having gone through a diagnosis like pancreatic cancer. Because the Lord just met him in a way that you just wouldn't have met him had he not had that diagnosis. Do we want that diagnosis? No, that was never part of God's plan. But somehow God can use even things like that for our good and his purposes. And that's one of the ways that scripture is trying to reframe hardship and suffering for us. Basically, life is hard and none of us is exempt for it. But God gets the last word of the diagnosis. God gets the last word even so much as death doesn't get the last word in your life if you have faith in Jesus. And so that's the kind of faith, the hope that we're called into. So, how do you and I grow in love, hope, and faith? How do we grow in these core virtues? And uh, I want to end off, and Paul gives us a little bit of an insight. If you go back to that First Thessalonians 1, chapters 2 to 3, uh, verses 2 to 3, right at the end, he says this, Give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning our prayers, remembering before God and Father, your work of faith, your labor of love, your endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the secret. It's not a secret because it's up in Scripture and it's behind me here. But that's the reason, the source, the motivation for faith, hope, love, and how we grow in that. In other words, Jesus gives us a new way to be human. What do we mean by that? So Paul brings us face-to-face with Jesus. Uh, the, the source, the reason, the motivation that we need to have faith, hope, and be a people of faith, hope, and love today. Uh, but not just Jesus generally, right? Some very specific things about Jesus. Now, if you carry on to read the rest of that letter, he spends a, a lot of time talking about Jesus' return. Um, and I think he does that very purposefully, because one of the ways that the New Testament encourages us to have hope is to long for the return of Jesus. Now, I'll caveat here. There's a bunch of hogwash out there regarding the return of Jesus, what the signs are, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen, and most of it, 99% of it, you just put in the garbage. Okay? What Scripture does affirm is that Jesus promised that he would return. Now, a promise is only as good as the promise keeper, right? The promise giver. It's, it's like, you know, whenever we come to election season, there's a lot of promises that go out. But can you take them to the bank? Well, it depends on that track record, right? If someone keeps giving promises and they never deliver, probably not should believe them when the next promise comes around. But if someone's getting some promises of actually, actually back that up, actually doing some stuff, it's like, okay, well, a certain person seems legit, seems real. So there's two key things about Jesus that we're to build our faith, hope, and love on. One is a promised, uh, future promise, and the other is a historical reality. It's Jesus' resurrection and his return, and the two are inseparably linked. And so we can have a hope, a real hope, that he will return and his return and everything that signifies because he did something pretty significant. He rose from the dead in his resurrection. And so this is what Paul, this is what the New Testament over and over again turns to, turns to Jesus' return based upon his resurrection. Let me run through here with you. Jesus' resurrection reaffirms that God's created world is very good. It's broken, it's messed up, but inherently God's world is good. The material world is good. When God declared that it is good, it is good. Sin has corrupted that, but God um, 
has a plan to redeem and restore and renew his world and his creation, and the resurrection is the first step in that. Um, it's significant that God came in human form to be our Savior. He endorsed the fullness of what it means to be human, bar sin. None of us can claim that except Jesus. Your humanity is not your problem. Fallen sinful nature of your humanity is your problem. And that's what Jesus comes to fix, not by taking us out of our bodies, out of a created order to live high in the sky with him. Um, and so his, uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus signifies the beginning of that plan. And then his return, the completion of that plan. And now we live in the tension of that. Something's begun, but it hasn't quite yet fulfilled. And we live in that tension constantly. We see glimmers of it. We see beautiful uh, moments of God restoring and renewing his world. We see it in people's lives getting transformed, addictions broken of people, families restored, relationships restored as the gospel enters their lives. We see that. We see cultures getting shifted and changes where they come back to more uh, biblical ways of doing things. And then we also still see the horror and the evil of reality. We live in that tension constantly. And so our story as humanity is embedded in the story of God's creation, the fall, and then his redemption and recreation of all things. Um, one of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright, puts it like this. Many people today assume that Christianity is one or more of these things, a religion, a moral system, a philosophy. In other words, they assume that Christianity is about advice. But it wasn't and isn't. Christianity is simply good news. It is the news that something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. This is the claim, the radical claim of Christianity. Either Jesus rose from the grave or he didn't, but if he did, everything changes. And many of you have banned your life, literally your life, on that claim. And it's an historical fact and reality. We can go back and look at that. And there's lots of ways that we can get evidence for it. And it's, I know it's a miraculous thing. And maybe you're, you're not quite sure what you believe today. People don't rise from the grave. I know. We know that. And that's what makes this amazing story. But Jesus, in his resurrection, did something that forever changed anything. And that's what good news is. That's what the gospel is. That's what Christianity is. It has advice. Uh, it is a religious system in some ways. It is a philosophy of the way to live life, but it is by far more than all of that. It's news about something, good news about something and someone that happened that now changes everything. And then as we anticipate the fullness of what Jesus has begun, as we anticipate and long for him to come and fully redeem and fully renew and fully fix everything that's broken in you and me and our world, as we long for that, John Eldridge puts it and frames it like this, the struggle that we have in our heart. He says, the secret to your unhappiness and the answer to the agony of the earth are one and the same. We are longing for the kingdom of God. We are aching for the restoration of all things. That is the only hope strong enough, brilliant enough, glorious enough to overcome the heartache of this world. And so we really long for that. And we see that. We see that in our city where we see people march for justice, right? We see people march for um, stand up on behalf of minority groups, whatever it is, whatever the cause is. We see glimmers of the kingdom. They're longing for a world where there's justice. There's, there's longing for a world where there's um, less inequality in standards of living, where people can have basic needs met, 
that the rich and the poor just doesn't get bigger and bigger divide, which it seems to constantly be doing. See, people in, who might not believe what you believe long for these same things. And it's a world that God created that's been messed up with the sin, but what Jesus came to fix and has begun and will promise to do and restore. It's a world that we long for where relationships don't break down, where we don't have conflict, where, where families can stay together, where there's the longing for the kingdom is in all of our hearts. And it's the hope that Jesus is doing that and will come to restore fully all of that to this earth uh, one way or another. And so through the crucified and resurrected Jesus, God is creating that and he begins by recreating you and I. He starts with us. Um, and this is where Christianity is, right? It's not just learning a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's getting a fresh start in life. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. It's like you get a fresh start of life. Jesus called it being born again. It's a weird term, but it's, it's almost like being born again, having a new start of life. That's how radically transformative Jesus is in our lives. And so he talks about that, and there's a shorthand for that, of being this new humanity. It's called in Christ. We find ourselves in Christ. We begin to live after the pattern of Jesus. Not perfectly like Jesus. That's not going to happen this side of him coming back or us going to heaven, right? But increasingly being perfected as he was perfect, as he lives and works in and through us. And so one major way of describing this new humanity of being in Christ is wrapped up in three words that the early church often used to describe Jesus, particularly in his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. You guessed it, faith, hope, love. This new humanity, this being in Christ, is marked and characterized by people in faith, hope, and love. So in faith, Jesus models faith in his trust and loyal dependence on God the Father to bring about his good purposes, even through his anguish and his suffering in the cross that lay before him and death on that cross. In hope, Jesus displays a confident expectation that somehow God is going to use the terrible moment of the cross to vindicate him and begin this process of redemption and renewal and triumph, even through death and suffering and the humility of the cross. And then in love, Jesus clearly demonstrates his complete self-giving for the benefit of others through his suffering and death. And so to be in Christ, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, is to pattern our lives after this Jesus of faith, hope, and love. That we, too, would have faith, a trust, and a loyal dependence upon God to bring about his good purposes in the world, especially when it's hard to see it in reality. That we would be a people of hope, a confident expectation of divine vindication. God gets the last word and renewal of all things as we look back to Jesus' resurrection and forward to his return, to be a people of hope in a day-to-day life because of that, and then ultimately to give ourselves away for the benefit of others because that's what Jesus did and does for us. Faith, hope, love. Um, Canadian theologian Michael Powell, in his brilliant and short book, on um, an introductory to Christian theology, if you ever want to get into that world. He says it like this, all Christian ethics, whether personal morality or social action, is bound up in these three virtues, which stem from the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Faith, hope, love. And so cultivating this endurance of hope today, work of, work of faith, labor of love, the endurance of hope, this enduring hope, 
means that you and I are going to need to look to Jesus. Someone says he's looking back at his resurrection, the historical reality, anchoring our hope in something that's real, and it's projecting that in his return, and living today in light of that, being a person of faith, hope, and love in light of that today. Work, labor, and endurance, we know that that's part of life. And without Christ, it kind of just stops there. Life becomes work, toil, and just have to grit our teeth and endure. But with Christ, our work can have lasting impact. Our labor doesn't need to be in vain, and our hope is very real for a very real world. So there's a question I want to end as, um, as we move into time of just reflection and response through song. Um, the question I think I ask of myself, and I think you could ask of yourself, is how seriously do I take Jesus? How seriously do I take Jesus, his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, and his return? How seriously do I take that? How seriously do you take Jesus? And one of the ways you can begin, one of the ways I can begin to answer that is to ask another question. Well, how do I live today? How are you living today? What are your hopes? What are your fears? What's your work, labor, and endurance look like? Is it a picture of faith, hope, or love, or something else? Now, I implore you to consider that today as we go into a song, as we as we bring our hearts before Jesus. Um, for maybe a handful of you, maybe you've never considered placing the full trust in Jesus, and I would welcome you to do that today, and there will be opportunity for you to do that, and some steps that we can help you in that, to come to the end of yourself and acknowledge that my faith, my hope, and my love are elsewhere, fueled by other things, and we're invited today to, to partner after Jesus. For many of you in this room, I know, you're followers of Jesus, but maybe today's a, an opportunity to stop, and maybe there's some repentance that's needed, maybe we've put our faith and hope and trust and love in other things. And God's giving us an opportunity to return to him and to put our faith, our hope, and our love in him today, despite and in spite of what may be going on in your life right now. And so can you imagine being a person, faith, <laughs> hope, love? Can you imagine being a marriage, a family? Can you imagine being a church full of faith, hope, love? And that's what Jesus wants us to be. We're called his hands, his feet. The church is called to be his body, the embodiment of him in this world. And so the challenge before you and I is to step into a new way of being human. And that comes as we put our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus, receive his love, and live out from love. Let's stand. I want to pray. And then I think Jacob's going to lead us in a song of worship. So, Father, Son, Spirit, we we bring our lives before you. Um, we know that we're naked and bare before you, God. Nothing is hidden or masked uh, before you. That you know us fully, and, uh, and despite all that you know of us, you love us deeply. And I'm praying in this moment, people here would know that tangible love, a love that knows a love that sees, a love that hears, a love that feels, a love that joins us in our lives, our hard lives, our suffering lives. But a love that doesn't want to leave us there, it wants to walk with us through the hard things of life. And so would you make us a people full of faith, 
hold them up, Lord, that our work of faith, our labor of love, and our endurance of hope would be because of you, Jesus, um, and that our lives would increasingly look to you, and as we look to you, that we genuinely would be a people of faith, hope and love today. In your name we pray and ask these You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org. 